You've probably heard the old saying that there are two things you're not supposed to bring up in polite conversation. Religion or politics. We're going to do both tonight. We're going to tackle both of them together. Uh, the saving grace, the, the only way we can get away with that is this is not a conversation. This is a monologue. So... You, <laughs> I'll talk about religion and politics, and hopefully too many won't leave, so we'll see if we can get through this sensitive topic in some ways. I think we can't agree on one thing, no matter what affiliation we might have politically or leanings. I think we can agree that this is the strangest political season in my life, anyway, and I'm sure you would agree that it's probably the strangest in your life. There may be a weirder one sometime. I don't know. But the way this presidential campaign season is going, about all I can say fairly is that it's different. We've got a couple of different candidates than anybody ever thought was a presidential candidate in a lot of ways. I've heard all kinds of fury and thunder and lightning on both sides. Christian can't vote for that or him or her or either or uh, this is just horrible and the world's coming to an end and on and on. Uh, this is not about how you're going to vote or telling you how to vote. Uh, in general, I want to talk about Christians and, and government and maybe that will help you understand a little bit more our uh, role in this very strange political season. Uh, the big question, I guess, that kind of will flow through this monologue tonight is what's the purpose of government? I think if we get that kind of down pat, we might be a little better off. Uh, now, that's not just a question for a Christian. That's a question for a citizen. What's the purpose of government? If you really boil down all of the vitriol and fights and disagreements that we have uh, between parties or camps or whatever you want to call them, uh, it really comes down to that. What's the purpose of government? In general, there's two views of that in this country where we have the right to think about What's the role of government? Uh, a lot of countries don't have that uh, opportunity to even think about it. Uh, the government tells them what to do and when to do it and how to do it, and that's the end of it. But in this country, we're blessed. Like we talked this morning, we get to consent to our government. Uh, but even though we do, we still don't agree on what the role of it is. Uh, at one extreme, there are some folks that believe government uh, is supposed to fix everything and do anything that it needs and take any money that it needs to fix any problem that it sees. Uh, the other extreme is, no, government's very limited. It, there are very few things that federal government can do. And once you take those two extremes and start applying it to real-life situations, uh, you get the kind of messes that we're in sometimes. And 
sometimes I think we get to thinking that that's a, a new invention, that uh, this disagreement has uh, been going on for 240 years. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it's always been. President Washington decided that maybe it would be a good idea to have a bank, a United States bank, uh, to kind of handle finances and deal with other countries and establish credit and all of that. And so he asked two guys that, you know, were fairly sharp, Jefferson and Hamilton, uh, he said, what do you think about that? Well, Jefferson was one of those very strict constructionist, limited government kind of guys. And he said, no, Constitution doesn't say we can do that. Constitution says we can only pass laws, we can only establish things that are in the enumerated powers. No way we can do that. And Hamilton was a little looser. Hamilton was over on the other end where eh, if it needs to be done, and it would be good, and it would be kind of helpful, well, it says we can do what's necessary, and well, if it's be good, well, it's necessary. So we can do it. Well, we've been arguing about that for, like I say, 240 years. Um, and when you look at the, the big battles that we have these days in the Congress or in courts or whatever, it usually comes down to this. Well, what's government supposed to do? Uh, one of the biggest battles we ever had, and it's still going on, there's a reason it's still going on, is the abortion thing. Uh, Supreme Court sat down in 1973 and looked at the Constitution and said, abortion's legal. Yeah, they didn't agree. They were split, and they weren't really split over... In essence, whether abortion's good or abortion's bad, they were split over what's the purpose of government. One side said the Constitution's got nothing about that in there. That didn't fall in anything the Constitution says. In fact, it talks about the sanctity of life and declaration. You can't do that. And the other side said, well... There's some bad things happening with anti-abortion laws and all that, so we can fix that. We can do that. We can make things better. Every battle you can think about is this purpose of government thing. Now, I went through that just to say that that's a level of thinking about the purpose of government. The other level is what Christians think about the purpose of government. And I realize we're all citizens, we're Americans, so we get involved in that first level I was talking about. But Christians also disagree about the purpose of government. The moral majority, how many of you are old enough to remember the moral majority? Falwell and a bunch of guys decided that the reason the country was falling apart and morality and all that was because Christians weren't involved enough in government. And so they set out and said, if we can get this moral majority to speak up, if we can get enough people to run for office, 
They can run for city council or mayor or anything in their local government and move on up and get on the school boards and all of that. Uh, if we can get people involved in government, Christians involved in government, then if, if we can organize and we can lobby and we can we can take over. You know, we can straighten out what's wrong with this country with Christians in the right position of power. Okay. So that group, and still folks today talk about it. I mean, every campaign, I uh, have people here say, I really like this guy. He's, he's a good Christian. I'm going to vote for him. You know, he talks about God in the Bible, so we need him in the White House. Okay. Well, that's one way of thinking about it, that if you get enough Christians participating, then you run this government and you straighten things out, perhaps. Uh, some churches, in fact, almost all the mainline churches and quite a few in the Brotherhood these days are becoming the social gospel oriented. We've got to get involved and we've got to fix all these society problems. Uh, we've got to fix uh, you know, racism and violence and hate and discrimination and hunger and we're going to demonstrate, we're going to lobby, we're going to get involved, we're going to vote, we're going to work through all that and fix everything with government. The fatal flaw with that, in my opinion, and I think in the Bible's opinion, is that it's putting trust in laws and government and that's not God's plan. That's not biblical. That's not the way God planned things in any way. Uh, Jesus made it fairly clear when he was asked about it. Remember what he told them? My kingdom is not of this world. And my kingdom... And you remember who was asking him? The Roman authorities, because they were afraid Jesus was starting an insurrection and wanted to take over and, and all of that. And they were asking about it. Jesus said, don't need to worry about it. My kingdom's not of this world. That's not the level I'm, I'm dealing at. Uh, so, so all of the things that we get involved in and fired up about and concerned about in government. Uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned and take an active role and vote and all that. I'm just saying from a Christian perspective, from a kingdom perspective, the moral and social and political state of a people, of a nation, is irrelevant to kingdom politics, to the advancement of the gospel. It's irrelevant. And some of you are looking at me like, come on now. Come on now. The, the, a nation that persecutes Christians or, or something like that is obviously bad for the kingdom. You know, we ought to have a nation that's more ex accepting and 
protects Christians and all that, and then things would be a whole lot better. Well, let's think about that. What I said was the, the moral condition, the social condition, the political condition of a nation is irrelevant to the gospel, to the kingdom. Go through this book and, and look at some of the places where the gospel was preached and the kingdom was advanced. A moral city would be better. Well, how do you explain Corinth? You know, Paul went to Corinth. I probably wouldn't pick that as a mission spot. But Paul went to Corinth and taught the gospel. Maybe he spread the kingdom in one of the most immoral places on earth at the time. Uh, the, the social situation, the culture, the kind of folks that live there, is that a factor? Uh, Paul went to Athens. Some of the most advanced, educated, cultured people in the world. And he also left Titus in Crete. I don't know much about people in Crete, but here's what Paul said about them. He said, one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Then he said, this testimony is true. I mean, Crete must have been quite the place. But he left Titus there to organize the church and to keep the kingdom going there and to teach the gospel to other people. Uh, you know, it may not have much to do with the gospel and the kingdom, the moral or social or, or political. How about Rome? How about the politics in Rome? You know, you got to, I mean, we think we got some messed up leaders, but you look at the Roman emperors. You know, they were, <laughs> they were way messed up. And what did Paul do? He taught the gospel. Spread the kingdom. All of those kinds of things that we worry about that this affects the kingdom, I don't, I don't think it does. Now, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And some people, I said there's a disagreement about Christians about the role of government, the purpose of government. There have been a lot of very influential Christians, especially even in our brotherhood that I'm familiar with, David Lipscomb and folks like that, didn't think we ought to have anything to do with government. Not vote, don't fight for the government, don't, don't participate. We're not citizens. Well, we're, not, we're, we're citizens of another kingdom. So, yeah, we live here and we're citizens in a sense, but eh, we don't get involved in these earthly things. I don't agree with that, but I'm telling you there's that way of thinking about it. Uh, I personally think we are blessed to live in a country where we can be involved. Like I said this morning, we're in the top 1% of blessed Christians in the history of the world. 
We get to have a say. We get to participate. We can run for office if we want to. Uh, we can do all those kind of things. Uh, we can vote for religious freedom. We can organize people for it. We can be civil servants. Uh, we can utilize the laws and taxes to do anything that's legal. But what I'm trying to tell you is we sometimes get so wrapped up in that that we think that's important. It's irrelevant. It's not vital to God's kingdom. It's not vital to our spiritual growth. It's not vital to our witness. It's not vital to advancing the kingdom. Think about Jesus. Jesus lived in a whole lot worse time than we do. The Romans had control of the area, and Jews were discriminated against in many ways, and so were Christians to come and all of that. He didn't rally anybody to change things. I realize that wasn't a been really possible then, but he didn't tell anybody to run for office or get involved in the Roman government in any way. He just told them over and over again, you obey the government and you live a righteous life. And as messed up a place as it was, he said, you obey the government, you live a righteous life. Uh, I mentioned the Cretans and Titus and how obviously uncultured they were in some ways. At toward the end of the book of Titus, listen to what Paul told Titus, chapter three. He said, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. Like I was talking this morning. This is how you live life. So in this obviously kind of messed up place called Crete, Paul said, Titus, you teach the people this. Be subject to the authorities. Live a good life, basically. Uh, Down in verse 8, I think it is, it says, And I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Okay. So that's his message today. He said, you do good. Live in a bad place. But you obey the government and you live a good life. That's the message all through the New Testament. Um I guess I realize that I do it, so I know some of you may do it. Uh, We get too involved. We get too wrought up. We get too all concerned about how things are going with our government. And I do. I I think it usually happens after I've watched too many news programs, read too many things, or paid too much attention I mean, it gets me fired up. 
I'm not quite there yet. I've told Cindy we're going to convert everything to gold and silver and buy property in Aruba. You know, depending on how the election comes out, we may be moving, you know. And, you know, after I think those kind of things, I think that may be a little too wrought up. Some of you looking at me like, no, it's not. (laughs) Well, I think it is. I think from what, (laughs) from a Christian perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from Paul's perspective, in nations that were a whole lot worse off than we are, uh, they just said obey the government and live a good life. The ideal human government, if you could come up with one, which is impossible, but if you had the ideal one, it wouldn't do anything to advance God's kingdom. I know it might make life easier in some ways. It's easier to be able to preach in the open than being crucified. It's more pleasant. But if you if you look at history, there's kind of an inverse relationship between how the social system, the government, whatever, treats Christianity and how well Christianity does. I mean, there's been some really, really evil, evil worldly governments, and they haven't stopped the gospel. You know, they've tried. They've done everything they can think of. In China, they they killed hundreds of Christians. They cut their heads off. They buried their bodies one place and their heads somewhere else because they knew these Christians believed that there was going to be a bodily resurrection. So they fixed it. I said, this will slow them down. Didn't stop the spread of the gospel. There may be an inverse relationship there, in fact, like I think. Just keep going back to what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. It doesn't operate by worldly principles. It's not what it is. Okay, so that's mostly my monologue. Let me give you a little scripture here, to a way I think about it anyway, or one way that helps me think about it, keeping politics and everything in proper perspective. Uh, I think if you go through the Bible, you find out that there's three institutions that God set up. I think that's all you can find. Okay? Uh, God did set up the state. He ordained that. And you can read Romans 13 as the, the clearest passage where Paul said, be subject, every Christian, submit yourself to the authorities. He said, because the authorities, remember who he was talking about now, they're pretty bad folks. He said, the authorities have been ordained by God, and they are God's servant. Now, the key is is what he said they were God's servant to do. God ordained civil governments to punish bad people and protect good people. That's the function of government. I started out by asking, what's the purpose of government? Well, there's the answer. 
because God ordained it to do that. Now, I realize we do a whole lot of other things with our government, but that's the basic role of government. First uh, Peter, and think, let me find First Peter here and read it to you. First Peter chapter two, if you want to write that down. Fourteen. Uh, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Okay? There's the purpose of government. So, so God set up civil governments. He ordained them. He allows them. He teaches us to obey them, to punish the wrongdoers and to reward or protect good people. That's the role of government. Okay. First Timothy, let's go over there. One more verse about the role of government. First Timothy 2, actually our role with government. First Timothy 2, first couple of verses, Paul says to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Okay, you're supposed to, we're supposed to pray for kings and those in authority, and what are we supposed to pray for? Overthrow them? You know, get the right kind of people in there? No, he doesn't say that. He says you pray for them, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Okay. So, so what you're supposed to pray for rulers, for authorities, for governors, for presidents, for Congress, you're supposed to pray, God, I'm interceding for them, I'm praying for them, I'm requesting that Christians can live a peaceable and quiet life. That's about the only responsibility we have to government except to obey them from the Bible. Okay? In America, we get to participate more than that, but that's what the Bible tells Christians. Okay, So we've got the state government supposed to punish wrong and protect good. God set up the family as the second institution he set up. Okay? He set up the family as the basic unit of everything. It's the basic unit of society. It's the basic unit of it's the basic unit of government. It's the first community. It's the first authority. It's where basic values are taught. Okay. What do we say today? We say, why is there so much crime? Well our answer is because well there's so much poverty. That's why there's crime. Now, what's the real answer? The real answer is there's so much crime because the family's not teaching. You shouldn't do crime. That's where it all starts. God set the family up to do all that. That's what he told the Hebrews. That's what he tells us. That's what he tells mothers and fathers. That's our job. Toby just got done preaching through that. Here's how a family's supposed to work. It's the basis of everything. It is the foundation of society. So he set up the state 
to punish bad people and reward good people, protect good people. He set up the family to teach all the basic values and raise good citizens. And the third thing he set up was the church. And the church, us, those called out, meeting together, are supposed to worship together. We're supposed to teach each other. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to evangelize the world. That's what the church is supposed to do. Now, if you know those three things and their roles... It becomes really, really quickly apparent that when we mess those up, when we confuse the roles, we really foul things up. Things get all messed up. When you give one of those three a role that's for one of the other three, because it's not God's design, it messes the plan up. Okay? I talked about crime a moment ago. big thing now is our government has decided, well, we're going to fix hate crime. We're going to make sure that people don't hate other people. Is that the role of government? No. Jesus said when somebody does wrong, it doesn't matter their motivation, you punish them. The government does that. When somebody does good, you leave them alone. You protect them. Who's supposed to teach you not to hate? Which of the three? Family. Okay? Family is supposed to teach people not to hate. Supposed to teach people that we're all equal, teach respect for each other and all that. And when the family doesn't do that and we give that role to government, how well does that work? It doesn't. Because instead of some parent that understands something, we've got government bureaucrats that are trying to decide, well, is this hate or not? And how do they always decide? Well, if I think it's hate. You know, if it's a crime against somebody that I think maybe they were being hateful, then I don't know. Never works. It'll never work. Again, I shouldn't get so wrought up about it, but it's never going to work when you when you let government try to do things that they're not supposed to do. You let government schools try to teach values. How's that work? It doesn't work. I, I realize. Let's go back to the start. Christians get all excited when they took prayer out of schools. That's what destroyed the world. Well, schools did use to reinforce values, but that still wasn't their purpose. You know, once the family stopped teaching values, schools hadn't got a chance. Started to say they hadn't got a prayer, but that would have been funny. A school can try. You know, but once again, you get a government entity trying to decide, well, what values do we teach? That doesn't work. It will never work. The other direction, 
Christians sometimes, not many, but some, and not too much lately, but there was a period, especially in Wichita, where a lot of Christian kind of folks decided, well, we're going to stop abortion. You know, we're going to blockade the clinics. Uh, we're going to make it so people can't get into the clinics. Some of them went so far as to say, well, I'm going to shoot an abortion doctor. Yeah. Well, there you've got a Christian trying to do something that, no, the family's supposed to do that. The family's supposed to teach the sanctity of life. And the government's supposed to enforce laws. And so you got all three of those doing the wrong thing, and it's the kind of mess that we ended up with. So if Christians have, if we have in our mind that it's our job, we, we trust government. And we must because we think, well, if we can get Christian morality in there, we can get a Christian worldview in the White House, we can, we can do all this, then we'll fix things. Now we're barking up the wrong tree. I'm not saying it would be a bad thing to have a good man in the White House, a good godly man or woman. That would be okay with me. But if we think that's going to fix anything or affect the kingdom, I think we're off track. When Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world, I think Pilate probably breathed a sigh of relief. I think he probably said, whew, <laughs> good, because this guy's got some followers. You know, he's got all sorts of people that would vote for him. And, and if he's not... Competing, then that's good. Well, Jesus was right. My kingdom's not of this world. But the funny part is, Jesus has been affecting governments for 2,000 years. He does it through his people. He does it through his people who obey governments and live good lives. And are the salt of the earth and the, the light of the world. People are taught at home. They're, they're taught at church when they're God's people. And they change the world. Okay. But that's where our assignment is. It, one other kind of flip-flop thought here. Human politics thinks you've got to change society to change people. Okay. We've got people that hate, so we're going to start punishing hate crimes. We got people that discriminate, so we're going to start punishing this. We got people that do this, so we're going to change this. Okay? Kingdom politics says that people have to be changed. Okay? Human politics says if you change society and change the laws and do all that, you'll change people. Well, that's not their role. The role is when somebody does bad to somebody, steals or hurts somebody else, you punish them. When somebody does, is doing good, you leave them alone, you protect them from the bad guys. That's all you got to do, according to God. But human politics says, let's change society, we'll change all the rules and regulations and laws and all that, then we'll change people. No, you don't. Kingdom politics says 
You change people, and they'll change the world. Change people's hearts. Things will be different. That's our role, I think, as Christians. Now, let me reiterate, you want to participate in politics and vote, by all means vote and participate as much as you want to and as much as you get time for and all of that. Uh, but our job, our assignment, our role is to be the conscience of this nation. In your little circle, wherever you are. You get out at work, you get out at school, you have friends in the neighborhood, whatever. You represent Christ to them. You confront culture. You do it with God's word. You say, well, I don't agree with that policy because well, that's not the role of government. I don't agree with that because here's what the family's supposed to do. Here's what my church helps me do. You, you, you spread those kind of things. Mainly, you live a life that's salt and light. And that'll change the world. Changing the, the system to legislate some kind of Christian morality or Christian worldview or whatever, it's not our calling. don't think it'll work either. Uh, only the gospel changes people. Jesus' teaching, the words of this book will change people's lives, and if enough lives are changed, the morality of a nation might change. So, monologue over. Uh, whether that helps you decide who to vote for or not, I don't know, but hopefully you won't, your blood pressure won't be so high in the next few months anyway. Our purpose is to be Christians, obey the government, live the kind of life that is worthy of our king, represent him, whatever kind of culture we end up in. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you. Let's stand and sing a song. If you need to come, come.